Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to The Athletic MBA Show. Monday through Friday. On The Athletic Podcast Network. Come on, guys! It is another Hoops Adjacent episode of The Athletic MBA Show. David Aldrich here in D.C. It's cold. Was in L.A. It's not cold, I bet. Why? Right, Was? Oh, no, it's not. It's, it's a, But it's not as warm as you would expect. Only about 72 degrees I today. So. shut up. Just shut up. You guys... <laughs> You guys drive me crazy with that crap. <laughs> oh, it's 68. I'm going to have to put a parka on. <laughs> hey, it, it, when it goes to 61, I kid you not, you'll see people with scarves on. Yeah, I hate all of you. Oh, <laughs> did you wait? Did you do anything for Thanksgiving or did you stay holed up like, like the rest of us? No, I actually did travel. I was a bad boy. I, I traveled to Georgia okay. um, to be with my brother and his children. So what, and, um, what was that like? Did you fly? Yeah, I flew United. Um, was it, it bad? Was regular. How was it? How was it? I don't think, I think it was better than your normal holiday travel experience. It was okay. less people, but it was still more people than you would normally see on a Wednesday traveling. Right. I feel, I um, feel like not, Howard Hughes now with people. So tell me what it was like being around people. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you don't really talk to anybody. You walk into the airport. Everybody's got a mask. You're not making eye contact. The only people you talk to are the TSA person and the lady who lets you on. Um, yeah. the, um, the excuse me, the, the, the airline people. And so that's it. You don't talk to anybody. You kind of just go to your seat and keep it pushing. Yeah. Okay, so but you weren't nervous at all, or nah, I wasn't nervous. I wasn't nervous, especially you know, um, they they've done this, they've done the studies. They haven't had any major outbreaks just from flights. You know, yeah. basically what you get it from is being in, you know, in closed door venues with a lot of people and you know not wearing masks. All right, well, I'm glad everything worked out, man. I'm glad you got to see your family. That's that's hard to do this time of year, especially with everything that's going on. But hey, you know what else is going on? Training camps. That uh, which is hard to believe, but it's starting. It's starting today, as a matter of fact. I was been on Zoom calls all afternoon with various coaches, including Steve Nash, the new head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. And so we are 
very pleased. I'm so happy, Waz. We were able to get the very busy, the very capable, just the awesome Ian Eagle, the voice of the Brooklyn <laughs> Nets, to join us. Ian, my man, I love uh, talking to you. How are you, man? Man, it, it is great to hear you guys. Uh, the The travel resonates with me. I've been traveling for the last 12 weeks, and oh. Waz hit it on the head, man. It, it In a way, it's been more enjoyable because people are very respectful. Yeah. Are they really? Space. Okay. So like, really, I, I, I see I all these horror stories about these a-holes that don't wear masks and are yelling no, and screaming. No, 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 no. That, that's they're outliers. They're outliers. There always okay. are. But the one thing that has really stuck with me, I've been traveling extensively for 26 years. Right. When they make the boarding announcement, DA, you're not going to believe this. Not a soul gets up. <laughs> Like it used to be, folks, uh, we're going to start boarding and boom. It would be cheating with people. Now people wait their turn. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's been wild. It it really And and they're doing this thing where, um, and I'm I'm sure um, Ian is actually flying first class where I'm not. I'm still still with the plebes. um, Wow, this is called the walk of shame. (laughs) Walk past everybody's in first class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but they're letting the people in the backboard first now. Yes. Yeah. And, yes. and so you, if you are all the way in the back, they board you first, and which actually makes more sense because there's always that bottleneck in the middle. But yeah. um, it's kind of seamless, man. I can't lie. Yeah, no, it, it's been pretty smooth. Yes. Is it odd? Yeah. It is. There's no getting yeah. around it. You have a mask on the entire time. Occasionally it pops off to get a sip of your drink or to eat a mini pretzel uh, they don't give you a whole lot on these flights. Uh, right. They're they're not coming up and down the aisle, and everybody's keeping to themselves. And uh, as Waz mentioned, I think there has been this sense of respect that had been missing. And then here's the other part, and this part, David, I know you can attest to. It used to be when you would go into that pouch in front of you. Yeah. There would be a half-eaten zone bar, yeah, <laughs> like seven Cheez-Its that someone <laughs> left over, and a half a bottle of iced tea from the previous person that was in your seat. It's immaculate. Right, the planes right. are so clean to the point where now you go back in your mind and you start questioning, what a pigsty it was. <laughs> yeah. Forever. It was really bad. It's a Petri dish. It's a flying it's Petri a dish. Petri. Yes. It's horrendous. It's just horrendous. That's one of the reasons I had to get, I had to cut back. You have not cut back. And I, I, you and Harlan are insane people. I don't know how you do this. I don't know how you've done this for 20 years. How do you do NFL and NBA and college basketball? How do you do that? I, I go to a happy place. (laughs) Mentally, I'm telling you, and I'm not exaggerating, the travel part of it used to be the most challenging, and it still is. You still are getting on planes and rushing out of venues and trying to make your next flight. But because of the setup right now in the NFL, when you exit a stadium, there used to be 70,000 people at the exact same time. Yeah, yeah. And now, uh, no exaggeration. There's nobody. Right. You pull out of the parking lot, you get to the airport, and you just go about your business. There used to be this angst that would come over you trying to make your flight and rush to the next one. And that really hasn't been part of the equation. But the juggling is something I've grown accustomed to. Kevin, very similar in 
trying to get from place to place, trying to compartmentalize your brain and make sure that you never say the wrong guy for the wrong sport in the wrong moment. <laughs> like the day you have Russell Wilson running the Portland Trail Blazers offense <laughs> is the day you've got to maybe cut back a little bit. Right. So fortunately, we haven't gotten to that point yet in my oh. career. Well, I, and I'm glad DA actually said that because, you know, you, you've been sort of a, a prodigy in the broadcasting game, right? Like you started pretty early on for when people start in this business. And obviously when you first start, you know, you're just excited to be in there and you want to prove yourself and you want to show people what you got. Um, and, and that sort of drives you. But now that you're sort of such a grizzled vet, um, and I think my favorite part about listening to the games you call is that enthusiasm that you have. How do you maintain such an enthusiasm after it? Because I say this because I've only been doing this, but for so long. And even me, I find myself kind of getting jaded sometimes, like because, you know, certain things and you see certain things. But what I love about all of the games you call is the enthusiasm that you bring every single time. Um, you're not like Billy Packer who freaking hated basketball. <laughs> Um, no, like, no, 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 that's not true. Why? That's not true. Billy hated people. He didn't well, hate he, basketball. He Humans. He just Humans. sounded like he hated that. Uh, he loved the game. He just hated people. That's a big distinction. <laughs> uh, Billy, Billy's actually a really interesting guy, curmudgeon, but yeah. a brilliant guy. As DA will tell you, if you sat down and had lunch with him, you yeah. would be fascinated by how his mind works. He was a great businessman, mm -hmm. and he really did love the game. I just think at some point – his love for the game was no longer revealed in the job that he was doing. Uh, Waz, you just gave me the greatest compliment that you could give me because that comes from a real place. And I think authenticity is what connects with people most. If you're playing a part, if you're trying to artificially get yourself to a point, and if you guzzle five-hour energies before the game mm. to pump you up, <laughs> then... To me, you're, you're trying to manipulate it, and it's not coming from a real place. All of my enthusiasm from the first day that I did an NBA game in 1994 to now in 2021, it's real. I'm excited to be there, and I'm excited to do the prep. I'm excited about the interaction, which unfortunately has not been part of the equation. During the bubble stay in Orlando, we were very limited. We did not see a player. We did not see a coach. Other media members, you walk by quickly, nod. How you doing? And just <laughs> move on. You know, part of it, and, and DA knows this because he lived it for so long, is that, is picking yeah. up a morsel of information, catching up with a colleague, something that you didn't even know might come up on the air. All of a sudden, a seed is planted from a conversation that you have with a reporter with a media member, with an assistant coach, with a scout. And unfortunately, that's been taken out of, of our daily ritual of doing this job. With the NFL, the, the strangest part for me has been getting to a city, testing, isolating until you get the test back, and then getting in the car Sunday morning, getting to the game and going directly to your booth and then not leaving until the end of the game. And that is the process that we've had to go through based on the, the rules and regulations to stay safe and to keep doing the job. There's been this, this weird mentality and it, it's a March madness mentality, but it's applicable. 
and it's survive in advance. You just want to get through the week and then do it again and then turn the page and then do it the next week. It does take a lot of the, the flavor out of the job. But when the headset goes on, that's when you get to do the work. And nobody cares about anything happening on the periphery. They just care about, are you prepared? And are you passionate? And can you inform? And can you entertain? I, I've been I've been to uh, every of the Washington football team's home games this year um, as part of working for the athletic. I, mm. I like to keep on top of them. And they had one game where they had about, I don't know, 1,500 people in the stands. But for the most part, all the other games, it's been empty. It has been so weird watching a game in an empty stadium. I can't imagine what it's like to try to broadcast a game because we all, everybody plays off the crowd. The energy, the excitement, the noise, the color that you get from watching the fans. What, how do you... How do you generate that in an empty building? It's, I'm not even, I don't even have to do it. And it's hard for me to sit there for three hours. It's eerie. Uh, it really is, David, you, you hit on it. I'll give you two stories from the season opener. I had Cleveland at Baltimore and normally at M&T Bank Stadium, the position of the broadcast booth, you are in it. Yeah. It is at the top of the first level. Yeah. So the fans, you could reach out and touch them. That's how close they are. In fact, for many years, in my early years at, at CBS, when they started to bring in instant replay, the fans would turn to me during a controversial moment. They thought I was the replay official. <laughs> and they turn around like, well, what is it? Is it good? Not good? I'm like, I'm not the replay guy. And then finally, after a few games, I was like, it's good. You're going to be fine. <laughs> I mean, this is, was a reality. That's how close the fans were. I was doing a game with Boomer Esaias in a radio game in Baltimore, and a guy was sitting in front of us, and he was getting hammered. Mm-hmm. Just not, you know, friends don't count. This guy had 15 beers easily, and he's turning around during the game. He's like, hey, Boomer, Boomer. And I'm talking to Boomer in the headset. I go, Boomer, do not engage with him. Yeah. I said, it's like a bear in the forest. <laughs> Do not engage. Right. So Boomer listens to me and we call the game. And now the game's going on and the guy turns back around. And throughout the game, he's turning around, Boomer, what do you think? And Boomer is not engaging. Finally, it's the fourth quarter. There's three minutes left. And this guy has had his 15th beer. And he's literally right in front of me in Baltimore. And he turns to me and we make eye contact. And he says, dude. Could you charge my phone? <laughs> and I looked at him and I felt terrible. I said, yeah, give me your phone. And Boomer was like, don't engage. He's like, oh, the guy's phone died. I can't be responsible for this guy right. not getting home because his phone's dead and he's schnockered. Oh, so I charge his phone and that gives you an indication of how close we are to the action. So yeah. week one, Cleveland at Baltimore, two things happened to me that indicate that this is going to be a very different, unique experience. There's no preseason game, so it's all new for everybody. The first thing, first quarter, Lamar Jackson on an option is running to his left. Charles Davis is my partner this year. It's the first game we're working together, and I'm trying to get a feel for what he needs from me, and I'm sensing that he wants eye contact. He's making a point, so I turn to him, I nod, I give him the eye contact, 
I give him validation, and I turn back around, and Lamar has now pitched the ball to Mark Ingram. So I'm a little late to get on to the play, but I catch up quickly. Ingram actually drops it, jumps on top, and no harm done. They show a replay, and Lamar had two subtle, dazzling moves within that run. So normally, if there's a crowd in there for the play-by-play announcer, you get a cue from the crowd. You get an ooh, an ah, a reaction. And even if I didn't see it, I'd be able to make up for it and adjust based on the crowd. And I could shift gears and give you, oh, Lamar, something to let you know, hey, I saw that. I noticed that. I didn't because there was no gauge. There was no compass. So that's the first thing that's struggling. Like, hey, Charles, I love you. There's not going to be any content. I got to watch. I got to watch the act. Right. The second thing at court is really weird. They are enhancing the audio so that the presentation at home feels quasi normal. And yeah. they've done an incredible job. If you're sitting and watching a game at home, for the most part, if you have a good audio person, it feels kind of like a regular Sunday. You're like, oh, no, this Yeah. Sounds like an NFL game, looks like an NFL game. So about six minutes into the game, they're using a track from NFL films from a previous Ravens game where they recorded the crowd and they're sweetening the audio. And I tell the audio guy, look, give me some of that so I can feel it when I'm calling the game. No problem. So he feeds me some of it. About six minutes into the game, I just hear a random, come on, in my headset. I'm like, whoa. Who was that? And I'm looking around thinking there's somebody there. Was that an usher? Was it a security? There's nobody there. The, the, the stadium's empty. And I just move on and I call the next play. About 14 minutes later, I hear, come on. And I realize this dude is on a loop. <laughs> 14 minutes, you get the come on guy. <laughs> And I'm thinking to myself, are we in the Truman Show? What is happening? It's like the Flintstones, the background, you know, tree, rock, tree, rock. That's that's so crazy because a couple of things, Ian, I was going to say that a lot of times when back when we were allowed to go to bars, you would ask a bartender to charge your phone and they would get real snooty and snotty with you and be like, we don't do that here. So next time one of those dudes or ladies Gives me lip about charging the phone. I'm gonna I'm gonna remind him about Iron Eagle. And secondly, I, I was gonna say, David, that he had to have some experience in empty arenas because he covered the East Rutherford Nets. I mean, come on. <laughs> oh, oh, a little shot <laughs> at the Brendan Byrne. <laughs> what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do with these empty arenas? I said, Hey, I was the voice of the Nets in the mid nineties. <laughs> I have experience. There was one time, and this is so vivid in my brain. It was my second year doing the Nets. So it was 95, 96, my first year doing TV. And I'm working with Bill Raftery. And there had to be 3,500 people at the game. And calling the game, you could hear a pin drop. And I literally could hear the conversation from the couple behind me during the action. So we go to break. I turn around and I look at them and acknowledge and they, they nod back. And I said, so you're thinking the Bahamas for Christmas? Break? They said, you heard that? I said, yeah, I did. I said, are you going to bring aunt Helen? 
You heard that too? <laughs> like their entire word for word conversation <laughs> as Derek Coleman is taking it to the rim. It was insane. Come on, guys. Let's bring DA into the conversation here. Welcome to Who Comma is Jason on the Athletic Podcast Network. I turned it on and I heard Shaq with the barbs and like the most in his bracket, I was transported right back into it. I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> I think I rap better than shit. David, David Aldridge. Oh, he's totally playing him. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then he yes. got their lungs out in front of everybody on TV. Michael was not your friend. It was popping in there. So the Chicago and Detroit stuff, that was real. That was real. I mean, God forbid we don't have scholarship monies and can't pay for the charters for the water polo <laughs> in Iowa. Hoops Iowa. Jason. Welcome to Hoops Five, Five, Four. We have ignition. Oh my God! See, I feel a kindred spirit with Ryan Laws because I covered the bullets. <laughs> the, the, the 22, 21, 20 win bullets for five years. My best year was 40 and 42. That was the highlight of my bullets time. And there was always, well, not always, when the Bulls came to town, it was sold out. I'm sure it was the same for the Nets when you, when you were there, Ryan, um, in, the, in the 90s. And there would be like 4,000 people at a game, you know, and it was, and you'd hear all the comments. And I remember the night Duke played Kentucky, the great overtime game. The Bullets were playing somebody. I don't know who. And, they were, and I was at the game. And every 45 seconds, you'd hear this random roar from people in the stands. It had nothing to do with what was going on. Like somebody's dribbling up the court and you hear, ah. And then you hear, you hear, ah, like five straight times. And then the last one was when Leitner hit the shot. And the place went nuts. Everybody's um, watching. Everybody's listening to the game on the radio and not 100%. watching the bullets play. It was insane, but that's what it was like back then with with bad teams. You know, you made your own fun. So I I, I completely now you don't have to do that anymore, Ian, because the because the Nets are like big times now. They're big mockers now. Well, you know, so. I mean, let's think about it. I got to get used to the idea that people are calling me. They yeah. they want me to join them. You know, yeah. I'm getting it invites to the party i'm getting invited to the club uh, that had not been happening for a while so this is this is kind of new for me and it's a new world it's a new normal and i'm ready for it it's gotta be you know, fun it's, it's crazy because it not so you talked about being with the you know the mid to late 90s nets um if you can even go back as far as you know directly after the Darren Williams, the KGs, and the mm-hmm. Paul Pierce's had left, and they gave all of those that stuff to Brooklyn, and I mean, excuse me, to Boston, and you know, our whole industry called Danny Ainge the smartest man in the history of the universe, and the Nets were sort of just whatever. They had no draft picks. They had they had nothing. They had nothing to look nothing. forward to, and now they're freaking, you know, they're a freaking Ferrari. It's it's incredible for for you, I, w- I would imagine. Yeah, it's pretty amazing because relevance is something that has always been at the heart of the Nets as an organization. It was hard to be taken seriously. It was hard to form credibility when you were competing with the New York Knicks. And I think that was always part of the issue is the people that were running the Nets for many years looked at it as direct competition. And what I felt when Sean Marks took over And at least from his words and even behind the scenes, what I could sense, that wasn't the game plan. They no longer said, hey, we're competing with the Knicks. His view was, no, no, no. 
We just have to get better as a team. And the other things will fall into place. Don't worry about the direct competition. And of course, you have salespeople, you have marketing people. There's a whole other side to the business that I do not have direct and intimate knowledge of. And I understand that's part of it, that you're fighting for advertising dollars. You're fighting for, uh, in normal times, people that have some discretionary income and they want to go to an NBA game. And what do I do? And do I go over to Brooklyn? Do I go to, go to the garden? That's a whole other side of it. But in terms of the basketball side, I think finally they no longer looked at it through that prism. And you're right. The cupboard was bare. Yeah. And the, the way Sean did it, and D.A., you've been at this for so long. You've seen so many different GMs and decision makers try to attack a bare bones operation and try to build it back up. What struck me about Sean, and it really resonated with me early, they were treating their players, even though they weren't all-stars, even though they weren't the biggest names, they were treating them like they were gold and treating their families extremely well. And even on the team flights, families were invited and extended families were invited. It was a new vibe. And I think a big key was that word gets around. Players talk to players. And the way they handled agents, they realized that they needed them to be advocates Hmm. and not Hmm. enemies. And that was a huge decision. Maybe People don't, don't see it that way in, in other teams. They look at the fight and the battle and the constant drama. The Nets viewed it as we need the agents on our side. We have to show them that we're going to be a first-class organization so they can share with their clients that Brooklyn could be a destination. And man, here we are today talking right. about a team that's got Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and then rumors of James Harden. Whether or not that ever happens, we'll see. The right. fact that the Nets are even in that conversation is hard to wrap your brain around. It's crazy. It is. It is. It is crazy. I I, I actually, I won't put you on the spot, but I, I don't think they should trade for Harden. I just think that's too much to ask Steve Nash to try to navigate in his first year as a head coach. I just think that's, you know, come on, that's insane. It's going to be hard enough managing KD and Also, Kyrie. it wouldn't work. I just, I, it wouldn't work. And it also yeah. wouldn't work. That's right. Well, it also yeah, it, wouldn't work. That's right. Here's the one thing I would say about it. it, it all, Kyrie ain't want to share the ball with LeBron. Right. He don't want to share it with James Harden. Right. Right. Exactly. In all sincerity, the fact that this came out, and I can tell you from the four years plus that Sean Marks has, has been running the team, and David, you know this better than maybe any human out there from an insider's role you know where information flows. Mm -hmm. This did not flow from the Nets. Mm -hmm. Everything that has come from the Nets, making deals, free agent signings, if you look at it, everything has been a bit of a surprise or under the radar and then they do it. There haven't been a lot of rumblings of, oh, they're doing this, they're doing that. They don't talk. It's tight. (laughs) It's a tight ship. So the fact that this information came out just leads me to believe that uh, it came from the Houston side. It came from either Harden or his people uh, that wanted to get the the ball rolling and get the word out. And I get it. You know, that's part of the game. I don't think it came from the net side. And if there was serious consideration, and maybe there is still, uh, and ongoing discussions, 
Sean is too shrewd. I just <laughs> I don't I don't see how the Nets are going to give up the farm for this. And I, I think Houston is playing a little rope a dope too and trying to figure out what's the market. This is a this is a transcendent type of player. And if you're Houston, you better get back what you need in order to take the next step as an organization. So right. I think both parties are trying to figure this out. Yeah, I, yeah. And no disrespect to Spencer Dinwiddie and and the other you know ancillary pieces mm-hmm. of the Nets, but Drew Holiday, I mean, he got like five picks for that dude. Right. And he's <laughs> right, not right, nowhere right. near in the same right. class as a James Harden. So you're right. You know that seemed like just a bunch of agent smoke and mirrors type of stuff. Yep. So so I I, I was listening to Nash. I'm fascinated by Nash. I've known I've known Steve since his rookie year in 1996. And one thing I know about Steve is that he is an incredibly you know thoughtful guy. And by that, yeah. I mean, he thinks, he actually thinks about the question you ask him. He tries to actually give you an answer. Um, it's not just a lot of patter. Um, and I know he's thought about this, you know, before he took the job, but I do wonder how, how does he take ownership? It's similar, somewhat similar to, to when Steve Kerr went to Golden State. There's similarities mm-hmm. there, but the splash, I mean, Curry and Thompson were well-known. They were on their way, but they weren't what they are now. So it was different. Katie and Kyrie are fully formed human beings. You know what I mean? Like they are both finals level, finals winning players. You know, Katie's an MVP, you know, and Kyrie very easily could have been a finals MVP in 2016. So I wonder how you approach that kind of, how do I, put my stamp on this team with these kind of outsized personalities with Kyrie kind of intimating, if not outright saying, we don't really need a coach. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm, I, and I almost get what he's saying. It's not, I don't think he's being disrespectful to Nash. He's just saying, you know, we've done this for a long time and we kind of know what we're doing. And so we don't need someone to kind of browbeat us into, you know, conformity. So I kind of get what he was saying, but it comes off sounding like, yeah, we we don't need you, Steve. You know what I mean. And I know that's not what he meant, but I just wonder what you think about how how Nash can put his his imprimatur on this. Yeah, I, I think you nailed it on all levels. And when you say Steve is a thoughtful guy, uh, that that's a true statement. Uh, he is not one to go into machine like mode and answering questions. He listens to the question. He thinks about his answer, and I think his communication skills are going to help him immensely in this position. You made the comparison with Steve Kerr. Uh, You've been really fortunate to be around Steve at Turner for all of those years, and you know what kind of person he is. You know what kind of moral fiber he has. The more you're around Steve, the more you like him. (laughs) There are a lot of people, the more you're around them, you start seeing their flaws. You start seeing their their warts. It's the other way. And I think with Steve Nash, it's very similar in that uh, he he's a unifier. I see him relating to KD and Kyrie and then finding commonality with Karis LeVert and then all the way down to Chris Chioza. He's going to be able to articulate where he's coming from at every level and to me, that was going to be the biggest key of this hire. Of course, 
He's never been in this spot. This is all new. That's why Mike D'Antoni's there. That's why Jock Vaughn's there. Amari Stoudemire, somebody that he is really familiar with and comfortable yeah. with, and someone that brings an immense amount of credibility uh, to the coaching staff is there. I think it is going to be collaborative. And the little that I know of Steve, I didn't get to know him well during his playing days. I did a one-hour town hall with him a few weeks ago. And when you do one hour, you're going to go places that you don't go to in a normal sit-down interview. You start yeah. getting deeper into personal side <clears throat> and all of that. So I felt like I walked away from that conversation with him uh, feeling even better about the hire in many ways because he's very transparent. And I think he's acknowledged that this is going to be a, a bit of a team effort. And as long as everybody knows that and is on the same page, you know, what I've learned in a very short period of time about KD, this guy really cares. And he mm. is a true student of this. This is not someone that's finding something to fill his days other than basketball. He eats, he breathes, he cares about yeah. this. And for him to be out for 18 months, he has played over and over again in his mind how these games are going to go. Every now and again, we would catch him when he was on the sideline uh, during timeouts and the ball would roll over to him and Kenny Atkinson was talking to the team. And he would take a few steps out and you would see him mimicking the moves that he would make, like yeah. a little <laughs> shift of the shoulder, uh, uh, a jab step and things that you realize like, no, this guy, it means the world. I think he is going to be a man possessed personally. I think, I think you guys know this, but. He takes names and he, <laughs> yes, he, he knows. Oh, oh no. KD takes them personally? <laughs> oh, yeah. He knows what's been said. He knows who said it. He knows when it was said. And it motivates him to no end. Now, how all of that works, Kyrie is a really interesting guy. And I find him incredibly deep and, and affable. And if you talk to him, you walk away digging his vibe. Like he, he goes deep into stuff and he's a naturally curious guy. Yeah. He actually wants to know about you and ask you questions and what's going on and what, what are you doing? Well, how does that work? I, I find it refreshing. And I think he does look at basketball as a canvas and he, he gets his brush strokes and then he, he does a little more of that specialized painting and he gets inside and works the edges I'm really curious, like everybody is, how this is going to play out and how those two guys jive together when this thing starts for real. So I want to know, because, you know, KD was around last year, um, but obviously he was rehabbing and he wasn't playing. And so he wasn't, you know, functionally, he wasn't a part of the team. Mm -hmm. But guys like Kyrie and DeAndre and the rest of the crew were. And obviously, we know what happened to Kenny, Kenny Atkinson. He was let go of, or they mutually parted ways, whatever they're calling it, you know, um, <laughs> however they framed it. I don't, mm -hmm. It doesn't matter to me. Um, what's, what's the difference? This, what's going to be the difference between whatever, because we all read the reports, and there seemed to be 
I don't know. Uh, the, what the report, report, the inference in the reports were that some of the guys on the team wasn't feeling Kenny Atkinson's style. So I just would love to know what, what to your mind, what's the difference this year going to be? Yeah, my sense of how all of that went down and trying to read the tea leaves of, of what happened there. Look, new owners, and when new owners come in, they evaluate everything. Every bit of the organization and every department is viewed and it's analyzed and it's assessed. And at some point when you start talking to people and you're getting reports back or your instincts are telling you we may need to make a change here or make a change there, uh, ultimately that's on ownership. Now, uh, do players have a voice? Of course. Of course they do. Do your best players have a voice? Absolutely. But ultimately, owners make the call. And whatever vibe that was being felt at that point, there was a general consensus from high atop the food chain that they needed to make a change. Kenny's in L.A. now. I think he'll do great work for Teron Liu and developing that talent and an area where the Clippers believe they can get better and improve, taking young talent and improving it. And I think that's an area of expertise that's been proven from Kenny. And the hope is he gets another chance down the road. I thought he did excellent work with the Nets. Absolutely. He's a great guy. Yeah. You sit down and talk to him. He's, he's yes, a he basketball is. junkie. And he's a hands-on guy. So my hope is when the smoke clears that it ends up working out for him and it leads to an even better path for him. How does it manifest itself with the Nets? Well, there's no doubt there's there's a whole new flavor here and KD being healthy. That's the big first step and how everybody comes together, how all of this works and Steve being new to the position and a new approach and Jock Vaughn being in charge of the defense and Mike D'Antoni being in charge of the offense and how all of this comes together. I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. guys. I really think it's one of the big questions of the 2021 NBA season. It's one of the big wild cards. If this thing really hits, if it's successful, then you might be looking at a team that can go to the NBA finals and actually vie for a championship. I know this after watching countless games in the NBA and especially over the last eight years or so, you want to win an NBA title? You better have the horses. Yeah. There, there, there's yeah. no more surprise. I know Toronto, everybody kind of looked at that as a surprise. They had Kawhi Leonard. Right. Okay. <laughs> at his best. At his absolute understand best. understand yeah, yeah, It wasn't yeah. the little Kawhi Giants. Yeah, yes, exactly. I know, exactly. I know what the narrative became. <laughs> but they had Kawhi Leonard. They had the horses to do it. And even, by the way, when Kawhi left and made his decision, the Raptors were still really good because yeah, they were yeah. cohesive and well-coached. And they were battlers and they hustled and they did all the little things that you that you love to see. But they weren't champions. They were champions with Kawhi. You better have the horses. If it doesn't go well, then the scrutiny level will be extremely high. Because one thing we've learned about the NBA, and I love it. It's part of what makes it so interesting. All of the banter that leads into the actual game sometimes becomes the overwhelming part of the equation. All the chatter, all the talk, all the speculation. 
you actually got to go and play the games. So we can talk all we want. I want to see these guys actually go out and play the games and see how this thing develops because there's a chance it could be a really special season. You mentioned uh, Kenny being out in L.A. with the Clippers. I was wondering if you could do me a favor. Could you critique the the play-by-play guy out there? I, I'm just really curious what you think as a veteran. You've been doing this for a while. So you could give a nuanced yes. kind of, you know, pluses, minuses, strengths, weaknesses, stuff he has to work on, you know, maybe? Yes. Yeah, I. it's funny. I texted Kenny after it was officially announced. I said, is it somewhere in your deal that you have to to work for a team that has an eagle doing play-by-play is that the the story right now so my son Noah's out in LA just returned uh, yesterday he was here with us for eight days over the holiday break and he is just having a blast with that team with this league and as as was mentioned early uh, if it's 72 degrees consistently in December Life's pretty good. So (laughs) similar to what was mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, he got here into our house when he, the first day, what what are you guys running the air conditioning in 69? What's going on in here? Freezing. (laughs) Put on a sweatshirt, LA boy. (laughs) (laughs) That's got, it's got to be a hoot for you. That has to be Uh, a hoot for you. Okay. I can't even imagine. Beyond, beyond like anything. Anything that I could even conceive that the idea that my son would be interested in doing this for a living, it far surpasses what I thought it would be when he decided to do it, jump in, and then to be successful and to get the opportunities and handle them the way that he has professionally, with maturity, and just with the right touch. Uh, fortunately, he's a really good guy, which is the most important part of all this. Yeah. And I think he realized through the years that uh, you better have that, uh, especially in this day and age. Like We, we don't need pricks doing this. Yeah. Okay, no room okay so, that, so I'm glad you I'm glad you said that. <laughs> I wasn't going to ask you this. All right. So you're a proud graduate of Syracuse University's broadcast yes. school, the SI Newhouse School of Communication. A fine, fine broadcasting institutions that's produced some of the all-time greats. But you're one of the few. I'm not going to fight you. I don't hear you disagreeing with me. I'm going to fight you. I'm going to take my compliment and I'm going to move on to the next topic. I love it. I love it, man. So um, tell me, tell me this though. Um, uh, this is going to be such a weird year. It's just, it's just going to be. It was going to be a weird year anyway. But I, the, dealing with this, with with this pandemic thing that we're all trying to deal with, do you think we're going to get this in? Do you think we're going to get this season in? I was very, very concerned about the NFL, and rightfully so. Yeah, it's a lot of players, 53 men on the roster, 10 to 15 players on the practice squad, large staff, coaching staff, strength and conditioning, trainers, doctors, you name it. And I thought the NFL was jumping into this with the honor code of, hey, we need you to follow along. We know that you're leaving the facility at the end of the day. 
please, please do your best to limit your exposure. Please do not socialize and fraternize. And look, that's not re- realistic. We understand that there are going to be people that push the envelope and uh, that's part of our society. It's unfortunate because in my mind, if we would have handled it a certain way early, maybe we wouldn't be here right now. But that's that's a different topic for a different day. My concern with the NBA is similar in that there's only so much that you can control And it can't be a house of cards. If one player tests positive, it can't shut you down for a week's worth of games. So there have to be provisions in place with contact tracing and being responsible that you can keep this thing afloat. If not, it's going to be a long year. Unlike the bubble, which was a controlled environment, this is not a controlled environment. And what players do after practice or after games, it's up to them. The thing that that really stood out to me about the bubble, and I ended up doing the first restart game. So New Orleans, Utah is the first game out of the box. Zion Williamson, some believe part of the reason why they even had this playoff format was to make sure he participated, mm-hmm. a conspiracy theory or not. There he is. And from the opening tip, I realized that these guys had professional pride. They recognized that this was important and they needed to put their best foot forward. This was not a glorified scrimmage. This was not going through the motions. It was real. And I thought the competition level was really high throughout the bubble experience. Now in empty arenas, back to a quasi-normal schedule, I'm curious. I I don't know how that's going to play out. Are we going to see that same fire night in and night out around the NBA when you're playing at home, you're going back to your apartments or back to your house and you're trying to do it all with a mask on? It It's going to be very different from all angles, playing, coaching, broadcasting, officiating, all of it. I'm, I, I might be in the minority here, um, but I, I think just like the NBA and the richest among us were the first to be able to get tests rapidly and get get things, get a handle on things because money talks and bullshit walks. Mm-hmm. I have a sneaky suspicion the NBA players will be amongst the first to get vaccinated. That's it. I don't know. I don't know why why I think that, but I think those who are the most privileged amongst us will get a handle on vaccinating themselves and protecting themselves before everybody else because that generally seems to be how things work. For better or for worse, it's not just the NBA thing. It's just how American society tends to work. And I think because of that and because of the you know the sort of reports we're getting out of Pfizer and Moderna and all of that stuff, 40 million doses by January 1st, I would be shocked if, you know, the 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 oligarchs who run the NBA don't figure out how to get everybody vaccinated to, to get the show on the road. But yeah, you know, I, that's just I think it's accurate. I think what you're saying <laughs> is you know. very true. Uh, I, I do know that in the bubble, I was in the diet bubble. I wasn't in the real mm. bubble. I was yeah. in the auxiliary bubble. Right. So similar to what we're going to see here with the NBA season, there's going to be zones 
Yeah. And there's a chance. So my son, after uh, Landry Shamit was traded to the Nets, he says to me, you're going to love him. He is a great guy. I said, Noah, I will never meet him. There's a chance that I will not meet him this <laughs> year. And that's real. I, I don't think I'm going to be in the company of a player right. for this season or a coach. Right. I did this thing with Steve Nash on on Zoom for an yeah. hour. That might be the closest I get to Steve Nash this year. And that's just the reality of the situation. It's going to be a very detached experience. And you're right. Players and coaches will be a priority. And I think they will be taken care of. And maybe that will be enough to boost the NBA to the finish line. Uh, but it could get messy on the perimeter. So, Ian, I wanted to get, Ian, excuse me, sorry. I have a, a very close friend named Ian, and I'm sure I'm not the first person to screw that one up. Would, would, but, he, would he consider maybe changing his name at this juncture? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so. <laughs> it's like 35 now. I don't think oh, really? Because if you put a BR in front of it, Waz, it's not Brian. Let's face it. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs> you know, you you talked about your son who's gotten into broadcasting, and obviously you love your son, so he's going to be one of your favorite people to listen to. But, you know, in hip-hop, who wh wh where, where I come from, there's always this phrase like, your favorite rapper's favorite rapper, right? Like Styles P say, I'm your favorite rapper's favorite rapper, meaning the sure. people who have the finest ear for rap love me the most. And I'm just wondering... Who's your favorite broadcasters, right? Like, are you ever sitting at home being like, God damn, how'd Joe Buck just do that? Like, who are <laughs> your favorite people to listen to as a broadcaster? Because, and I do want to tell you, um, amongst those people in the know, universally, universally your approval rating is, is, at, is, is, is up there with anybody. I'm not just saying that to kiss your ass. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard this before. You're one of the best of the best. So I would love to know who you consider to be the elite of the elite, or who you just personally just love listening to. Yeah, growing up in New York, you know where I'm going. Uh, Marv Albert of was course. doing everything. Sure. He was doing the Knicks. He was doing the Rangers. He was anchoring the 6 and 11 o'clock news. He was doing boxing. He was doing NFL. Uh, he was hosting baseball. So you're a kid in New York, and you have an interest in doing this for a living. You gravitate to Marv Albert. Uh, there, were, there was no getting around it. It was, I think, troubling to my parents <laughs> early in my life when they said, uh, you know, what's going on? I said, well, I, I, I want to be Marv Albert. They said, oh, you want to be like Marv Albert? I go, no, no, no. no, no I want to be Marv Albert. They said, well, how about you go to a psychologist and you work on this? You know, when I'm ordering in the morning, I'd go downstairs and, and get ready for school. And, you know, my mom or my dad would be down there and, and they'd say, uh, you know, what do you want for breakfast? And I'd say, uh, two eggs over hard bacon. Crispy, <laughs> rye toast, lightly toasted. They say, you need help. You need, <laughs> we need to get you help. And we can't help you anymore. Right. So it all stemmed from that. And it wasn't just uh, his style and his pacing. But later on, as I got older, I realized, and, and David knows this so well, being around him, 
it was the sense of humor and it yeah. was uh, things that might go over some people's heads or might be uh, a little bit on the on the sarcastic edgy. side and <laughs> edgy and no, he rips his analyst, but they have banter like him and czar would just go back and forth. And it would, and, and as DA will tell you, I, it was real. Yeah. Like they had yeah. real shit between the two of them. Yeah. And you're like, Oh wow. This is, this is playing out on the air now. Whoa. Like, yes. And stuff like bizarre stuff. You'd be like, Oh wait, they're serious. And they play pranks on each other, like yeah. stuff that you wouldn't believe. So, you know, many that I've heard about some that I saw in person because they were doing a net game and their green room and DA might've been doing this game. Their green room was right next to ours. So two things happen. One, uh, Marv goes to the bathroom and Mike Fratello moves the couch in front of the bathroom door oh my so that when Marv is done, he can't open the door. And he's like, uh, very funny, Czar. Move the couch, Czar. Is anybody there? Is anybody there? And I can't, I can't believe this is happening. I'm watching this. And then the other one, so Fratello is in the bathroom. Marv tells the makeup woman, just, uh, just so you know, Mike does not hear very well. So you need to get right into his ear so that you can communicate. She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. So now Mike comes back. They... They get ready to put the makeup on, and the woman gets right into Fratello's ear. He's like, how you doing today? <laughs> He's like, what the hell? Like, this is the stuff that they were doing. <laughs> yeah. And it would play out on the air. All true. So, all true. yes, so <laughs> it all stemmed with him. And look, the guys that are doing this at the highest level, uh, Breen and Harlan, they're all great they're great. They're great to listen to. It's all coming from a real place. You know, obviously I've gotten to know them on a personal level. So then once you have that relationship, you root for people. I root for people. I want people to do well. When I hear yeah. someone doing a big game, my hope is, oh man, I hope they do well. That That's mm -hmm. that's the way I've tried to view it. I, I think what, what I said earlier is is the reason why all of those broadcasters and, and you as well, Ian, are still doing so well because they're really excited to be at the game. <laughs> like they're really happy that they're there, <laughs> you know, truly. And it, it seems so simple when you think of it. Yeah. But it, it really is so obvious to me that people can smell bullshit. Yeah. If you don't want to be there, if this is a pain in your ass, if, if this is a drag for yeah. you, then that comes across on television. So, you know, people would always ask me if I had a Nets Grizzlies game on a random Tuesday. They say, like, well, you're mailing that one in, right? Like, no, yeah. this is really important for somebody. Yeah. So the producer I'm working with, the director I'm working with, the analyst I'm working with, the stat person I'm working with, the graphics person, the tape guy, this is the biggest part of their week. So yeah. maybe I did call a national game two days earlier or I'm calling a huge college game four days later or an NFL game, whatever it might be. That's the biggest thing happening for everybody on that crew that night. And right. that's how I've always tried to look at it. Like, hey, you're not above any of this. That's I own a big my game. best. Yeah, I own my best.
right? Yeah, and I 100%. think there's power in the microphone, right? Like, if I'm watching a Tuesday night game in March that, you know, the teams are way out of the playoffs yep. and who cares and, you know, mysteriously because they're getting closer to the lottery, starters <laughs> start popping up with Knicks and Knacks and can't play and, and all of that. Like, you, you might come into it and say, ah, I don't have a reason to. But if the person on the mic is excited about it, and, you know, I'm watching a sport that I love. I feel like you can't help but be excited. And, and I think you guys do a, a fantastic job of that. And, and Wallace, you just you just hit the essence of something that I, to this day, continue to tell myself. And it's twofold. One, there's a chance that someone is watching a game randomly and they don't know your work. They don't know mm-hmm. you. They don't know your resume. They don't know your background. And they're forming an opinion on you in a split second. We all do it. We turn on a game, we turn on something, and within seconds, well, I I like this, or "Mm, I don't don't like this. So you have to be cognizant of that when when you're doing the game. The second part, I'll look back on all these years of doing Nets games, and a lot of them were losing seasons. I can honestly say that some of those years, I did some of my best work to Mm -hmm. keep it entertaining to yeah, keep yep. the audience engaged and some of the years where they were really good i just had to get out of the way like right. the, the product took care of it i'm just right. there to compliment enhance but you really have to work the years where they're not very good when they took an offer to start the season and the roster was among the worst in NBA history. And they finished the year with 12 wins. Every game, guys, we had to do an open. We yeah. had to feature somebody <laughs> and something. And we had to create conversation. And we had to keep the, the broadcast flowing. So I look back on those years. And I'm proud in many ways, even more proud of the work in those seasons than I am of the years where the Nets went to the finals in back-to-back years or went to the playoffs and Joe Johnson is hitting game winner. Those games are easy. That's simple. And even this coming year, as weird as it's going to be and uh, as isolating as this whole experience has been in many ways, I have no issue or concerns about the games themselves. Once the game starts, we'll be good. The audience wants to enjoy. They want to be entertained. Go do your job. And my thought process is nobody cares about all the other stuff. They don't care uh, that there's no one at the arena. They don't care that uh, you're not talking to the players or you're not traveling with the team or uh, the guy at the security desk uh, wanted your ID. He didn't know. They don't care. <laughs> do the game. Do it well. Go home. <laughs> Well, you are, my man, you're one of the best. Uh, I I enjoyed so much working with you at Turner when we got to do Ditto. games together. It Ditto. was great fun. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'll tell you this, when I turn a game on, if I'm on the, you know, if I got Sunday ticket on and I hear your voice, I stop and watch. I, I'm going to watch this because this guy's going to give me a good, he's going to do it right. Um, and, and it's, it's a pleasure. It's always a pleasure talking to you, man. I just wish you nothing but the best stay safe and healthy. I hope the family stays safe and healthy through the holiday season, man. And Godspeed to you and, and good luck to you this season with a fun team. Yeah. DA was, thank you so much. This was a blast. Great talking to you. And uh, the hope is like one day, I know this is hard to even fathom one day, the three of us could be in the same place 
Yeah. Look at one another. <laughs> that would be fun. I would click enjoy elbows or touch feed or something <laughs> socially acceptable. So, and and one forward. more thing, Ian. Um, it's always uh, it's always great when we can have a New York City guy, but it's especially special, DA, yeah. when we can get a Queens dude. Because oh. <laughs> I'm a fellow Queens guy, Ian, so I'm, I'm very proud to have you on today as uh, a Queens legend, man. You just capped it off, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Life. Man, yeah, good. yeah. So, so I actually went to St. Francis Prep, which is in Fresh Meadows, which is not far from um, Forest Hills. Know it well, know it well. I knew people that went to St. Francis uh, from my neighborhood, and I look back truly on that time growing up in that area, and it shaped me and molded me so much. Just being able to be put in any situation and feel yep. comfortable with it, uh, just based on. Uh, who I was around at all times. That's I, what we do in Queens, DA. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. That's what talk we on do. a real level in Queens. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. It's a, it's a pleasure. On a real level. You lay it out there, and people are cool with that. Dang. If you're transparent, they're cool. They, all, they always are, and, and you are two of my two of my favorite Queens people. So, man, look, it's been this has been great. Um, hope you all enjoyed it. Leave that five star review on Apple, or Spotify, wherever, wherever you're hearing this. And if it's a two star, keep it to yourself as always. <laughs> See you next time. much pressure <laughs> oh man hi right, guys thank you buddy old man winter here if i had it my way it would stay winter all year long short days wind chill black ice and a good polar vortex <laughs> heaven wait is it getting warm in here your cold snap is over old man winter spring has arrived spring spring is here which means it's the perfect time to get away in the hyundai you've always wanted visit the hyundai getaway sales event where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning hyundai models like the tech-filled tucson and kona as well as the spacious palisade enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with america's best warranty and three years or thirty-six thousand miles of complimentary maintenance but hurry in these deals won't last add more joy to your journey at the hyundai getaway sales event now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.